Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. So much has been spoken about the new covenant, the Christic covenant in the last few years, and I want to dive into the scriptures today and do a deep dive into a favorite portion of scripture that I'm going to be studying a lot into probably over the next year. I feel like the Lord has drawn my attention back to the book of Colossians again, and uh, I've, I've dived deep into this book for many, many years, but there's a section that I want to highlight today, and it's a section we're actually going to highlight as part of an upcoming study group that we're doing on Tuesday nights called Come to the Table. Over the course of the next year, we're going to discover something called theosis. Theosis is where you and I discover what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God and to carry the the very uh, radiance of the divine nature of God upon our lives so that we reflect uh, the, the the nature, the character, the person of Jesus Christ who represented the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. So uh, Jesus was putting God, the very nature and character of God on display. And then he said, as the Father sent me, I send you. With the same glory he had, you and I have been given, John 17. And so what does it mean to live as a son or a daughter of a really good dad, a really good God? Uh, it's, it's theosis is where you and I become by grace, discover what it means to become by grace, what God is by nature. That doesn't mean that you become God. That means you begin to learn how to walk in the reality of what it means to carry the divine nature as a partaker in that nature. That's what the Bible tells us. We're partakers of the divine nature. So if that intrigues you at all, what it looks like to walk in the nature and the character, the, the, the likeness, the image and the likeness of God in every aspect of our life, with the power of God flowing through you to shape the world around you, then uh, sign up for Come to the Table. We're only allowing 100 participants for this unique study. Come to the Table is going to be on Tuesday night starting January 16th, 2024. And uh, there's a small cost involved, and that basically gets you a seat at the table, which is a Zoom room. And uh, we have to pay for those seats in those Zoom rooms. So we're maxing it out at 100. Believe that after a year, you're going to discover uh, some new relationships, build some new connections with people. And, uh, and you're going to find uh, really a growth in your own spirit that's going to take you out of any bondage that you have left in you through religion going to take you into freedom and new life in Christ. What it means to actually live, move, and have your being in Christ. No distance, no separation. Go to BillVanderbush.com and click on Come to the Table. BillVanderbush.com, Come to the Table. All right, first commercial of the day, <laughs> but hopefully that's uh, inspiring in itself. Somebody messaged me this week and said, yeah, your commercials have uh, as much meat in them as some Sunday morning services. And I thought that was very, very kind. But uh, I know there's a lot of good preaching that happens all over the world every single week. And, and I'm so grateful for every voice that declares and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that sets captives and prisoners free. There's another event we've got coming up. I'm going to let tell you, uh, Tracy tell you a little bit about that. It's called Kingmakers. It's going to be in Scotland. It's going to be coming up this April, and there's just a couple of spaces left. We believe that God's speaking to somebody out there who wants to go and spend some time with us in a castle in Scotland in April. Here's Tracy. This is Tracy Vanderbush here to remind you that we have an amazing opportunity for you to join us at the Kingmakers Conference. 
And guys, this isn't in America. This is your opportunity to go overseas to Edinburgh, Scotland. We're going to be meeting in a castle, the Carberry Tower, which was built in the 1480s. We're going there April 15th through the 19th, the 15th through the 19th of 2024 this year, Kingmakers Conference. And Bill will be teaching there along with our dear friend James Baker and Mary Baker will be leading worship. And there's going to be a lot of other great surprises along the way. There's going to be a royal ball teaching and worship diving into the scriptures in a castle with a rich royal heritage so don't miss this special event go to billvanderbush.com go to the menu and click on kingmaker conference uk and again this is a great opportunity don't wait because the rooms are going quickly Uh, so check it out today billvanderbush.com Go to the menu and hit Kingmaker Conference UK, and you can join us in Scotland. We'll see you there. Well, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 8 today. And I want to contextualize a verse that I quote almost every time I preach. There's a few verses that just make it into just about every sermon. And the the one I quote quote constantly is Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. That says, For in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Godhead, or NASB puts it, of deity, dwells in bodily form. In verse 10, it says, And in him you have been made complete. If you remember when working with Ted Decker on The Forgotten Way. That was a foundational scripture of of a revelation of union. The revelation of union that's revealed in John 14, 20, where Jesus says, in that day you'll know I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. The revelation of union revealed in the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, where he says, Father, the glory you've given me, I give to them that they may be one just like we are one. I and you, you and me, and I and them, perfected in unity, that the world may know that you sent me and loved them just as you loved me. Uh, being in Christ is Paul's obsession. He writes in all of his letters about this beautiful reality of what it means to be in him. And 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 here now we have in Colossians chapter 2 says, in him. You have been made complete. Have been is past tense. Complete means complete. And that is a remarkable revelation to let sink into the soil of your heart and let that seed take root and bear fruit. I want to go back to verse 8, though, and I want to bring this entire section that I quote so often into a context to talk to you a little bit about a few different things today that we're going to be speaking about. Part of it has to do with the contrast of emptiness and fullness, the false and the true. This is what Paul is combating here to the the Colossians. And so let's start out here in verse 8. NASB reads like this, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, 
rather than according to Christ. So let's stop there for just a second. It's possible to issue a warning to somebody, uh, and you can do it from a heart of love, but you can do it in such a condescending and rude way that the warning actually becomes offensive. And the Apostle Paul, he could have done that, but he was really careful to bring encouragement to the church in Colossae. He expresses joy when he sees the order and the steadfastness of these people's faith. And then in the middle of all of this, he issues a gentle warning. And this warning is not just for these people. There's some uh, commands in Scripture that are specific to the culture. Uh, They're hardly applicable to, to the day in which we live. And so we don't even have to really even try to think too much about them. But this is a command that's absolutely universal and for all time. And he begins here by saying, and and the Living Bible puts it like this, don't let others spoil your faith and joy, which I love that. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful phrase. And the idea here is to keep looking or never relax your vigil. In other words, don't get careless as a Christian Careless people find themselves in a state of pain. Uh, One of the, I think, uh, greatest revelations that I uh, ever heard uh, went went something like this. It wasn't that people will always say familiarity breeds contempt. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. Oftentimes, familiarity breeds affection and genuine godly love uh, between uh, between people. You, you got to really truly know somebody to even know whether or not the love that you have for that person is real. So familiarity is necessary within the context of relationships. But even within the context of relationships in which there is genuine agape love present, familiarity can often breed carelessness. It doesn't mean that you don't love the person. It just that means that for whatever reason, you don't take care of the other person. It's people within your household who you neglected even like spending time with. Can't remember the last time you had quality time with these people. But my goodness, one of them gets sick or threatened with anything and whoa, you're right there. What happens? Um, something has to come in and reprioritize that which is supposed to be important to you so that you begin to realize, wait a minute, I could lose this thing. G.K. Chesterton famously wrote, the greatest way to learn to love a thing is to realize it might be lost. And there are things in our lives that we love, people in our lives, we love dearly, but we neglect and that's carelessness. That's what it is. It's it's, that we just fail to care. And that would be another definition, neglect. And so what are we doing in our own Christian life? We find ourselves uh, often when it comes to the things of Jesus and things of the Holy Spirit, finding ourselves careless about the Christian life. One of the dangers, I think, is to become so familiar with the message of Christianity and with the rituals of worship. Come to church, you have certain expectations you begin to take these things for granted. And when we take them for granted, we find ourselves not taking things seriously. And there's a, there's a necessity to diligently stand watch uh, when it comes to our faith in Christ. 
It's one of the ways we lose our identity is through carelessness. And Paul's warning against this thing. He's essentially saying, listen, you think you're never going to believe the wrong thing and be swept away by the wrong teaching? Hey, watch out here. And the word is, don't let yourself be captured. And the word capture is like as if you're taken captive into slavery. And this is what, uh, this is what bad teaching takes you into. Teaching that is religious in nature and not based upon the principles of the gospel that brings freedom in Christ will take you captive. And that's what Paul is saying here. See that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Now, how, how do you know if you found yourself wallowing in philosophy and empty deception? Well, you've gone from freedom to bondage. And listen, sometimes uh, sometimes it's, it's, it seems, sounds like really, really sound doctrine that you're hearing. You know, keep in mind, the devil even quoted scripture to Jesus in the wilderness. The devil knows the word of God. And so he can quote scripture to you. And, and people can take the scriptures and use the scriptures to actually put you in a holy headlock of sorts. And you find yourself captive and enslaved to a bondage of principle. And that's exactly what's happening here. He says, takes you captive through philosophy and vain or empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So what this is, is the exalting of tradition based in humanism, humanistic religious tradition that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit of God. And then it says the elementary principles of this world. So tradition and principle as opposed to the very living presence of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh and dwelt among us. Elementary principles, by the way, in, in the King James, the King James calls this elementary principles the rudiments of the world. And there's a hint here as to what he was talking about, the elements of the world, worldly elements. And in that day, in Paul's day, much as it is today, astrology was a big deal. The elements all around us, the worship of the earth, the worship of creation, and uh, the stars and astrology, not astronomy, astrology, played a big part in the Gnosticism of the day. Gnostics claimed the superior knowledge. And, uh, and they would come around saying, we have secret information. And they would get a lot of information from the stars. And so it sounds like a, a wonderful mystical thing, but the reality is, is they weren't rooted and they weren't grounded in Christ. And so uh, the Gnostic teachers would come in and try to get people's eyes off of Jesus and more onto the elements, the rudimentary elements of the world. Not just the principles of living, but even the rudimentary elements of the world. It's, it's getting your focus of worship on the creation rather than the creator. So Paul is actually talking a lot about the slavery of coming into bondage here and he's defining false teachers. Again, a false teacher is somebody who is taking people away from Christ, drawing attention away from Christ into tradition, ritual, and principle that brings you into a place of bondage. You and I have been set free 
and delivered from vain rituals and principles by the power of Jesus Christ. So now we worship from a place of joy and from a place of love, not from a place of empty and vain duty. If you do this out of duty, what ends up happening is you find yourself in pride when you accomplish you know, a perfect church attendance for 25 years. You get a little pin for that, you know, in certain denominations. You know, you find yourself in a place of pride for your accomplishments. But listen, faithfulness is fidelity to, to the personhood of Jesus Christ and the relationship that you have with the living God through the risen Savior by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That's faithfulness and fidelity to the faith, is when you actually have an active relationship with God. Some people have an active relationship with their church, but not with Jesus. Some people have an active relationship with their Bible, but not the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. Some people have an active relationship with a certain denomination or certain branch of the faith, but not with the Holy Spirit of God that makes the letter of the Word come to life. Now we get into the word philosophies. The word philosophies is an interesting combination of two Greek words that means the love of wisdom. Now think about that. Paul was warning us against the love of wisdom? Listen, there's nothing wrong with loving wisdom. It's something we're supposed to pursue, and in all our getting, we're supposed to get wisdom. A lack of wisdom is where we get into trouble. But there's, there's something here that we got to heed to, and the admonishment throughout the Word of God to be wise, but Jesus is called, listen, the wisdom of God. The love of Jesus is the love of wisdom. Wisdom is revealed in Christ. And what he's warning against is a love of wisdom that is void of Christ, void of the influence of Christ, void of the word of God. The love of wisdom and philosophy that is humanistic in nature. And that's where you see words in the King James Version speaking here of vain deceit. Vain meaning futile, empty, without purpose. And I would say this, without power. Godly wisdom will always have the power and glory of God behind it. It brings within your heart a peace that surpasses understanding. And you may not know why, but you know exactly what to do in this moment. There's wisdom behind it. It's wisdom behind listening to the voice of the Father. Wisdom doesn't always carry revelation with it. Sometimes a word of wisdom simply requires obedience. When a father tells a child in a moment of urgency, move out of the street or get out of the way, wisdom in that moment is to heed the voice of the father when you don't understand why. Because what you do understand is that the voice of the father is for your good, not for your harm, and trying to protect you from harm, tragedy, trauma, and calamity, and all of that. And when we heed the voice of the Father, we are listening to the word of wisdom. But it doesn't necessarily mean it makes us smarter. Sometimes it just makes us alive, keeps us alive. I, I, I can remember some, some time ago and driving with the kids in the car and I'm at an intersection and I'm just about to go and there's a, a truck that is on the other side and he's blocking 
the lane of traffic next to him. Looks like nobody's next to him. And I've got a green arrow right in front of me. And I go to put my foot down on the gas. I got all these cars behind me. And of course, you know, people in a hurry to get places. And I suddenly feel the Holy Spirit say, stop. And I don't move. I don't go. And suddenly out from behind that truck that I couldn't see, a man speeding, going well over the speed limit, comes blasting through that that red light coming from the other direction. Had I gone in that moment, um, our car would have been hit on Tracy's side where she sits there in the passenger seat, and it could have resulted in unimaginable tragedy for our household. I didn't understand. It didn't make sense. Logic dictated that I obey the light. But my consistent connection to the heart of the Father says, no, you listen to the voice of the Lord over and above everything else around you. Why? Because God is trying to protect us. So Paul describes these philosophies as being built on man's thoughts, man's ideas. You know, one easy way to identify heresy is to simply ask, when you're considering an idea, theology, or philosophy, what does God say about this? What does the word of the Lord say about this? What did Jesus teach about this? Whatever teaching we want to know about can easily be discerned discerned by putting it right next to the scriptures, right next to the word of God. And if God didn't say it, then man said it. And this is where we find ourselves led astray, is when we listen to the voice of of, of, of a person that is not backed up by scripture. Some time ago, I was looking through one of the Heresy Hunter websites because some friends of mine had found their way onto it, and I found out that I was not included on it because I used way too much Scripture. You know, part of what gets me in trouble is using Scripture because I, I'm very, very uh, uh, well aware that if, if the Apostle Paul were alive today and he were a writer of books today and we didn't have the book of Romans and he submitted the book of Romans to modern evangelical fundamentalist publishers, they would not publish it to be included in Christian bookstores today because of Romans chapter 5 and chapter 6. Romans chapter 5 and chapter 6 contains news that's so good that I think editors would come back to the Apostle Paul and say, hey, listen, you got to take these things out because this is not what the church believes. But the reality is, is those things are thankfully in the canon of our scripture. But even today, when I preach out of certain portions of scripture, there are people that get angry about that because they've held on to traditions and philosophies that have been handed down to them through pulpits in in, in this country, trusted pulpits that they grew up under that preach something completely different. And now you look at certain scriptures and point to these scriptures and, and say, what do we do with these and they have no, no answer for you except to label and call you a heretic. Just because a person preaches something or passes it down from generation to generation doesn't make it acceptable since tradition can either be good or bad. So now we get into verse 9. It says, In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In the original language, in him, is stated as an emphatic, which means... In Jesus and nowhere else dwells the fullness of the Godhead. Listen to what I just said there. That in him phrase 
is exclusive. In him and nowhere else dwells the fullness of the Godhead. The word dwell simply means a personal, permanent residence. The fullness of God dwelt in Christ, always has and always will. Now, to try to find a better translation for the word fullness is really hard. It just simply means completeness. False teachers said that Jesus was like, like one ray of light of God's glory. But there's a lot of ray of light, rays of light. That's what a lot of false teachers today say in the New Age and whatnot will say, listen, Jesus was, was a ray, a beaming ray of light. But there's a lot of rays of light out there. Paul is refuting that. His rebuttal here is that Jesus is just not a ray of light. He is everything. The fullness, the completeness of the Godhead in bodily form. This human body here. This is about the incarnation and the glorified body after the resurrection. It's a continuous tense, meaning he continues to even now be the fullness of God himself. Paul's here talking about Jesus' pilgrimage here on the earth and now his glorified state in heaven. It's all wrapped up in Christ. In Jesus Christ dwells permanently the completeness of the very essence of God actually and physically. And you and I are complete in him. doesn't mean that the Son is the Father and the Father is the Spirit and the Spirit is the Son. It's not what it means. It's not modalism where God appears in different modes. You and God in Christ are one in union, but you are not God and God is not you. Yet in him we live and move and have our being. We've got to learn the understanding of the difference between distinction and division. There's distinction between you and God. And we can believe in that distinction all day long and we should. But what we shouldn't, what we should not put faith in is division between us and God. We maintain the distinction, so there, thereby we have this amazing awe and reverence for the Lord. But there's no division between you and God. Why? Because in him you have been made complete. In the next few verses, Paul's going to talk about things like circumcision. The idea here is that when you came to Christ, you got set free. Your old sin nature was done away with, cut away. It's like a, a cutting away of flesh. And in baptism, you see how your old sin nature died with Christ, was buried with him, and you came up out of death with him into newness of life, why? Because you trust the word of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This is verse 11 and 12. You know, the false teachers were coming into the church in Colossae and said they needed to be circumcised physically in order to be saved. And Paul is telling them, listen, this is a work of God in your life to deal with your old nature. Salvation is not just a cutting away of a portion of flesh, but a putting away of the power of the flesh. The phrase putting off here is just getting out of the garments you were wearing. And the idea is here is not just taking it off, but abandoning it altogether to abandon your old nature. You and I have been forgiven by the grace of God. And this is a cleansing, forgiving, and liberating from the power of our flesh. The sin nature became a disempowered option which means you don't have to be controlled by the flesh anymore.
Isn't that good news? Listen, we've only gotten through like two verses here today, two or three verses at the most. And and just talking through these things is so, uh, it's just so mind-blowing for me. I, I would love to just have more time with you to do that. And we can do that on Tuesday nights. Sign up for Come to the Table and join me live every Tuesday night starting January 16th. Thanks so much for listening today. If you want to write to us, you can do it the old-fashioned way by writing to Faith Mountain Ministries, Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. In the simple scripture study today, I pray that your mind has been just enlarged, enlightened, and, and illuminated with the glory of the reality of the, of the gospel that's not far off. It's within reach and it's in Jesus Christ. Have you given your life to Christ today? Surrendered your life to Jesus? If you haven't, this is the day. Now's the time, the day of salvation. We will allow the Lord to come in and change you and transform you from the inside out. Where the old things pass away and all things become new. Simply by saying, Jesus, I give you my life and I receive the grace you've given me freely. Thank you for saving me from my sins, for changing me and making me new, for washing me clean, for resurrecting me to newness of life. Jesus, I thank you for loving me and accepting me and filling me with your Holy Spirit. Now teach me to live in radical surrendered obedience to your word. Teach me to hear your voice. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Listen, go out and get a good Bible, not just the electronic kind, but a good paper one that you can write in and and, and highlight and get into a good Bible-preaching, Bible-believing, full-gospel church where the truth, the freedom of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed every single week. Sign up for the Kingmakers Conference at BillVanderbush.com. God bless you. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.